taking our scriptures and going back to Luke chapter 2. This morning, we are going to be looking at a passage that I have titled, Actively Anticipating the Advent of the Anointed One. I ran out of A's. But I hope and I trust that as we go through this passage and as we look at uh, these two characters that we are introduced to uh, and aspects about them that we would be challenged ourselves almost 2,000 years later uh, to have some of the same characteristics in our life, as well as then living in anticipation for the second advent of the Anointed One. Picking up back in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took, him, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel." And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts and hearts of many may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This morning, to start off, I'd like for us to look at these character traits of these servants of God. The character traits of those who are actively anticipating the advent of the Anointed One were introduced here in verse 25 to a man named Simeon. Now, not much is given of Simeon or Anna other than what we see in these verses that we've read this morning. But what is told of them is enough to challenge us Simeon is introduced in verse 25 as a just man. And that word just carries the idea of being righteous. He was right in his dealings, both righteous before God. He was a faithful steward of what God had given to him. But he was also one who was just before man. He was faithful in his dealings with others. He was just. The same man also was devout. And that word carries the idea of being pious or religious. Having the idea that he had a good reputation. 
He's one who was well-received. And why does he have a good reputation? Because he's a just man. Because how he deals with people, he deals with them rightly, correctly. In a day and age, and when you read further in through the Gospels, you see many in the temple who were not living justly. We think of the times that Christ himself cleared out the temple because they had made the place that was supposed to be a place of prayer a den of thieves. There were many in the temple who were living for themselves, putting themselves first. But Simeon was not one like this. He was one who treated others rightly. He was one who was well spoken of in the community. But he was also one who was anticipatory. We see in verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah to come. And he's living in a day and age in which messianic expectation was high. You get to John the, baptized, the Baptist, and he's baptizing people, preparing the way of the Lord. Why? Because people were looking for this Messiah, this Christ. They were looking for someone, though, to come in and to throw off the bonds of Rome. They were looking for God's anointed to come and restore Israel to her fullness as a nation. And in a day of high anticipation, we see the wise men who journey to Jesus. Why? Because they were in the Scriptures studying, recognizing this star is different, anticipating the Lord sending His Messiah. And in this day of high expectation, very few, however, understood the significance of this little child born in a manger. And yet Simeon was one of them, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is a messianic title taken from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, where we're told that he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off of all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is what Simeon was looking for. Looking for that coming anointed one, the coming Christ who would save his people. Not necessarily in the physical sense that most of Israel was hoping for, but recognizing that Israel as a person, as people, they were sinners that needed saving. Simeon was a man who was just, he was devout, he was anticipatory. But we're also introduced in this passage to one named Anna. We're introduced to her as one who was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher in verse 36. She was one who was in the Word. The title prophetess simply refers to a woman who spoke God's Word. It doesn't necessarily mean that she was the source of 
of revelation, but rather she was a teacher of the Old Testament Scriptures. We see in the book of Judges also, um, and I'm blanking on her name, Deborah, the prophetess who encouraged Barak to do what God had commanded him to do in leading the children of Israel for redemption. Why? Because she was in God's Word. She knew what God had spoken. She was a student of the Word, and because she was a student of the Word, like Simeon, she was waiting for the fulfillment of God's prophecy. She was in the Word, but we also see that she was faithful. Luke describes her politely as being of a great age. I think that's as polite as we can get. She had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple. She's described as a widow of 84 years. And there's some debate amongst the scholars what exactly this is referring to. It could simply mean she's 84 years old and she's a widow, and she's stayed faithful to God in the temple. It could also mean that she has been a widow for 84 years after the death of her husband of seven years if she had been married at the typical age of 13 to 15, which would have been customary for Jewish girls, she'd be about 103 to 105 years old. Either way, as Luke puts it, she was a woman of great age. She ain't no spring chicken. But what did we learn about her? She's still faithful. You know, we look around and there are many in this auditorium who are older than I. Just because you're older doesn't mean that God is done with you. Anna is one who was faithful when she was of great age. Faithful in her teaching. Faithful in her service to God. The, Luke describes the fact that she departed not from the temple. If the doors were open, she was there. If there was a special feast... She was there, teaching and serving as she could. She was in the Word. She was faithful. And we also see that she was a servant. Verse 37b, she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. This describes her total devotion to God. Ministering to Him through prayers and fastings. And oftentimes, fastings and prayers were done only by the priests. But she was one who wanted to have that total devotion for God as well. Serving Him with her all. Being faithful in a day in which many would say, Anna, you're old, go home. You've done your time serving. Let someone else take up the reins. But Anna stands in the face of, no, I, I haven't finished yet. I'm going to keep serving the Lord as long as he gives me breath. Amen. We see the character of these two servants of God. But the second thing I'd like for us to examine this morning is what is their response to this advent of the Lord's anointed that they have been anxiously anticipating what is their response we see first from Simeon a message 
of praise. This is the fourth of five songs of praise that Luke records surrounding the birth of Christ. In these verses 38 or 28 through 32, we see Simeon praising God. He goes and he takes this 41-day-old baby. Moms, I don't know about you, but I remember when my children were that 41 days old range. I was a very protective individual. You, you don't just let some random old person in the church come and grab your baby. And yet that's what Simeon does. He comes and he takes infant Jesus in his arms and blesses God. You know, he took him up in his arms. I don't think he's pulling a, a Rafiki, a Sabenya. I don't think he's doing that. But he's looking at what he has been waiting for. And the result of seeing that infant is he praises God. He praises God, first of all, for the keeping of his promise. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Because Simeon had a special revelation given to him in verse 26 by the Holy Ghost that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God had for some odd reason, not that Simeon had done anything to earn it, but God had promised Simeon, Simeon, you have been faithful, you are righteous, you are just, you are devout. I'm going to give you something extra. I will let you see my anointed one. I will let you see the Christ before you die. And Simeon is praising God for keeping his word. No, God doesn't change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, he still keeps his word for us today. And we can trust him. When we're going through difficult times, we can still rely on him. He praises God for keeping His promise. He praises God for sending the Messiah. Verse 30, Mine eyes have seen Thy salvation. Referring perhaps back to Isaiah chapter 62, Behold, the Lord God hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, Thy salvation cometh. Behold, His reward is with Him and His work before Him. The salvation that God has promised that Simeon is now seeing is found in the promise of the Lord's anointed one. And the good thing about that salvation that the Lord has provided is he doesn't give it just for Israel. But rather it is prepared for the whole world in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. In this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all the people a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the lees, well refined. And Isaiah is using this poetry to add upon the idea that this salvation that God is going to provide is offered to all. And it is the best of the best. You know, you get that steak and you can see the marbling of the fat in it. You know it's a good steak. 
And what Isaiah is giving the idea is the salvation that God is going to provide. Think of the best thing that you can think of. And the salvation that God is going to provide is going to be so much more than that. But it's not just for Israel, it's for for the whole world. Simeon proclaims that he will be a light to lighten the Gentiles. The Gentiles throughout the Old Testament are depicted as being in darkness. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah writes, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Isaiah 60, verse 3, The Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And what Simeon is proclaiming in this small phrase, I have seen your salvation, a light to lighten the Gentiles, is he is pointing back to the promises that God has made and said it's not just for Israel, but God's salvation is for all. And as a Gentile, I am thankful that it is. I wasn't part of God's chosen people, Israel, and yet God still decided to send his Savior so that I, walking in darkness, could see his light. But not only is the Savior that Simeon has been able to see a light to lighten the Gentiles, but he's also the glory of Israel. And the idea wrapped up in glory is the fullness of all of the expectations, the fullness of the promises that God has given towards Israel as you read through them. Israel, as a nation, should have known Jesus was coming. They should have been actively anticipating Him because He is the fulfillment of all of that. The idea is a particular excitement to those who are anticipating it. You know, I think back to probably one of, I'm going to clarify so I don't get in trouble, besides my wedding day and the birth of my children, one of the most exciting days of my life, November 3rd, 2016. Any of you remember where you were? It was a day which many of us thought would never happen. All right, I'm I'm seeing a couple people picking it up. A day in which many of us fear we will never see again. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And the one White Sox fan. Eh. But do you remember where you were? Remember that Wednesday night we came home from church, turned the game on, the kids had gone to bed, I love my kids, but why'd they have to go to bed? The game went into extra innings, and I remember watching on the seat of that couch that final ground ball as Chris Bryant came over, scooped it up, and threw it across to Anthony Rizzo, catches it, steps on the bag for the final out, and the Cubs finally won the World Series, and I had two children sleeping upstairs. It was exciting because something that has never happened happened.
happened. How much more exciting. Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. God, the one you promised to save the world is now here. And it gets better because he's coming back. He gives a message of praise to God. But then Simeon turns his eyes to Mary. And he gives to her a message of salvation. He informs her that the anointed one will be both a stumbling block as well as a Savior. Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. Again, going back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, lots of great promises in Isaiah about this Savior. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, He shall be for a sanctuary, talking about the Messiah, but for a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. Why a stone of stumbling? Why a rock of offense? Because those who should have been expecting him, those who should have been anticipating him, when he came, overlooked him. And to them he became a stone of stumbling. Those who reject the Messiah do so to their own destruction. But he's not just a stone of destruction for those who reject Those who accept the Messiah do so to their salvation. In Isaiah 28, verse 16, Isaiah gives the promise, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. The promise there that that same stone that is a stumbling block for those who reject Christ is also the stone that sets the hope and is the foundation for what we have in Christ. He is a stone for both the destruction, the fall, and the rising again. He informs Mary that the Anointed One is marked for opposition. He says that He shall be a sign which shall be spoken against And the idea there that the picture of a sign spoken against is a reference to a mark or a target that an archer would aim at. An indication that the anointed one would not be a popular option for the world. And as we've seen for the last 2,000 years, what have we seen? Christ, the anointed Messiah, rejected by his own people. And for the majority of the world ever since, he's been rejected. But those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Him, He is our foundation. He is our strength and salvation. Simeon announces to her that the anointed one will suffer. Yea, and a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Something that no mother wants to see. The death of her child. Something that no parent wants to see. And as good and as great as the news of this anointed one is, Mary, it's going to hurt because you're going to watch him suffer. 
pointing to the death of the anointed one. But the promise at the tail end that the anointed one will not suffer needlessly. He will suffer so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The actions of those who reject the Messiah in their hearts will demonstrate it in their lives. Those, on the other hand, who accept the Messiah in their hearts, their actions will demonstrate it in their lives. As one commentator said, men's views and decisions regarding Christ are a mirror in which the very thoughts of their hearts are seen. And Simeon gives this simple message of salvation. Yes, he is the anointed one, the one who will save his people, not necessarily the way that people were looking for political redemption at the time, but he will save his people from their sins. And many will reject that. Many will stumble over that because that doesn't fit the narrative they want. But for those who put their hope those who put their faith in that message. He is set for the rising again. And we see a third message in these verses, a message of importance. This comes from Anna. Verse 38, She coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. And what did she do? She spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna gives us a right response to the Messiah. She thanks the Lord for his salvation. Those to whom Christ is made known have reason enough to give thanks to God for the great favor he has given to us. How often, though, do we Take it for granted. God, you saved me. Yes, but that was 30 years ago. God, you saved me, but that was 10 years ago. And I thank you for that, but I'm just going to live for me. Or do we take the time to thank the Lord for that salvation that he has given to us on a daily basis, recognizing where we were, lost in our sins, walking in darkness. And in that darkness, we saw the marvelous light. And then what does Anna do? She gives thanks to the Lord first, but secondly, she goes and she tells others. She goes and she speaks of Him, of the Messiah, of Jesus, to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. You know, you think about this, this should be what we as believers are doing. God, I am so thankful for what you have done for me. Let me go and tell somebody. God, I have this neighbor who doesn't know you. Give me an opportunity to share the glorious light of your son with them. And the idea here, the picture, is that Anna is going from house to house She's been teaching the word in the temple daily. She knows who has been coming. She knows who is expecting the Messiah. And she's going door to door. Hey, he's here. The one that we've been looking for, the one who will save us from our sins is here. I've seen him. 
I don't think it was by accident that Simeon or Anna showed up to the temple that day. And yet, what's her response? Look at what God has done. The greatness of His salvation. I'm going to go and tell somebody. I know that there are other people out there who need this. I'm 84 to 103 years old. But I can still tell people the good news of the gospel. And that leads us, I guess, in conclusion to what, is, what should our response be? What should the present servant's response to this be? We already celebrate the first advent of Christ. We're not like Simeon or Anna where we're looking ahead to seeing the salvation. We've already experienced it. So what does it have to do with me? I think first and foremost, I would say, let's not wait till Christmas morning to read the Christmas story. You know, this is the first Sunday in which many Christians around the world celebrate the Advent. The time where we look through the Old Testament scriptures at what the Old Testament Jews, what Simeon, what Anna would have been reading, what they would have been examining to see the coming of the Messiah. The word Advent is Latin for coming or arrival. And it has a double meaning. First, the fact that we worship the Christ for the fact that He has come. He's come in humility as the baby born in Bethlehem. The infinite God-man in the flesh. He's come Emmanuel, God with us. But we also wait for the second advent of our King when he will return to earth to rule and reign in righteousness and justice to make all things new. So as we enter this Advent season, practice anticipation for Christmas by looking back at the way the people of God anticipated the arrival of the Messiah. Focusing your thoughts, focusing your family's thoughts on him with the use of an Advent calendar. I don't know how many emails I got this morning from different Bible apps saying, choose one of several Advent calendars for you to read. You know, we put in your bulletins this week an Advent calendar, and there's more on the back table. You know, reading through those doesn't make you any more spiritual of a person, but those passages are chosen so that as we come to Christmas, we're looking for, we're anticipating that Christ child. But not only that, not only don't wait till Christmas morning to read the Christmas story, but secondly, how should we respond to this? Are we living in light of the first advent of Christ? As Titus, Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know, as believers, are we living as if Christ has come to die for our sins? Are we living in light of the first advent? Have we accepted this anointed one as our Savior? Are we living as a witness for Him, as Anna going and telling as both Anna and Simeon in their faithful living for him, 
Or as Paul commands Titus, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Or as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, verses 12, having our conversation, our lifestyle, honest or honorable among the Gentiles, so that when people speak against us as evildoers, those who know us will see how we've been living. Does our life demonstrate that there has been a change because of the first coming of Christ? Live our lights, our life in light of that first advent, but also live in anticipation for the second advent of Christ. As Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of the day of God, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot or blameless. Or as Jesus tells his disciples in Luke chapter 12, ye yourselves live like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh shall find watching. And if he shall come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. Are we living our lives in anticipation for the Lord's second coming? The story is told of a group of pastors who had gotten together one morning for a breakfast at one of the local churches. And as they're there, somebody came running in. Pastor, pastor, um, Jesus just walked in the doors. And all these pastors start freaking out. Jesus is here except for one. One of those pastors just walks over to his desk, opens up God's Word and starts reading it, picks up his phone and starts calling people, checking in on his congregants, starts making a list of people he can go witness to, and one of the other pastors comes up to him and says, George, what are you doing? Well, I don't know about you, was the reply, but when Jesus comes, I want him to find me working. Now, a bit tongue-in-cheek, but are we living for Christ? Are we living our lives so that we may be found of him without spot and blameless, looking for and hasting unto that day, so that when he does and come again, will he find us watching? Will he find us as Simeon, just and devout, living right with God and men, having a, a good reputation? Will he find us anticipating, looking for his return? Will he find us like Anna, faithful in the word, faithful in our service to him? Because he is coming again. And in light of the first Advent season that we're going through, my hope and my prayer for each of us is that, yes, we are encouraged being reminded of the Christ child being born, but may that also challenge us to live for him when he comes again as the king. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for 
sending your son 2,000 years ago to be a light, to lighten the darkness, to be the fulfillment of the promises that you gave your people Israel. Lord, we thank you that we can celebrate this Christmas season because of the coming of your Son. But Lord, I ask that you would help each of us to be challenged even as we look for your second coming. May we live our lives in such a way so that when you do come, you find us faithful. That we be spotless and pure. That we be giving the message of praise to you for what you've done for us. That we would give the message of salvation and that we would share that message with others. We ask these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.